0: Well, it is a delight to be able to be here, Friendship Baptist Church. Delighted that you're here today. I would say uh, as an old pastor that uh, if you're visiting, we welcome you. God bless you for coming, and I trust that you'll come again and again. I've just learned through these years that uh, a one-time visit is just not enough. And especially when the pastor is not here, he's away, and he'll be back in a few days, I would think. And uh, you'll need to hear him. He's, a, he's my friend, dear man of God. I praise the Lord for Bob Radenberg, his dear wife and family. I praise the Lord for this ministry here. I said this, I think we spoke back in the springtime, that uh, friendship is very dear to my heart. We have uh, just known the pastors and years gone by and the ministry here. And, and uh, my, my Gail taught uh, in the school for a few years, some years ago. And our two sons attended here. And so uh, we, have, uh, we have an affinity with you. And our hearts praise the Lord for this ministry. It's always a delight to be here. We're honored. I'm honored to be here today. When you have two gals in a service, it's kind of scary, isn't it? I just told Brother Peterson uh, uh, and uh, Brother Milton, bro- I should say, a moment ago before we got started. I said, there's so many missionaries here. I'm I'm scared. I'm scared. And I'm just, I say that jokingly, I'm just honored to have these missionaries. Every one of them could come up and do much better, but I'm just delighted and honored to have them here. This is a missions church, and God's hands upon this place because you're not selfish with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we rejoice there again in the goodness of the Lord. Come to a service like this, I'm aware that there are those that have perhaps come in and perhaps even members of this ministry here that come in today with hearts that are heavy. You just don't know what to do next. It seems like the burdens of life press us out of measure. And we just think about there again, someone help me, someone give me an answer. Oh my, we think about the hour. Brother Peterson in his prayer delivered a message today. And that is that we're living in some difficult times. I think about the Lord's assessment of some four centuries of history of his own people in the book of Judges. Twice in that book you'll find this little phrase, Judges 21 verse 25, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. It seems like that's the day, that's the environment of our hour. And it breaks our heart to think about that. The prophet Isaiah said in chapter 5, in verse 20, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. It seems like that the bizarre has become the norm. And if you don't accept the bizarre, we don't like you. That's, That's the aroma that I sense in this hour. May God help us. May God cause us again to keep our objectives right. Our priorities in the right place. Jesus Christ must be foremost in our hearts and our lives. You look at people, you'll get discouraged. You look at the Son of God and you'll be delighted. Delighted. And I think about there again that just the pull of our day, the struggle of the hour to keep our hearts aright, to keep our spirits fresh before the Lord. But that's why God has left us here. That's why we are here today. God could rapture us up at any time, and I look forward to that. But he's left us here today, and there's a purpose. There's a reason for us. Dear men, dear ladies, young people that are here, I want you to understand that God, God is working through you. God will use your testimony, your witness. We are to be a shining light, a light in this dark hour. So may God bless us and encourage our hearts in a very special way. Today I want to just speak on a subject that is not new at all. As I said, I know your pastor, he's my dear friend. We often meet every Thursday in a prayer time that we have. And I know your pastor has a burden for revival, God's freshness upon our lives, upon our ministries. I want to speak to you about that because what I would like to do is take two hearts... Two hearts, and I would like to put them on the canvas of two different churches. And so I'm going to ask you to turn to a couple of passages in just a moment. I will contrast these two churches, not for the purpose of paying tribute to one and criticism to the other, but simply to learn. To learn. The first church that I want to look at, it's uh, uh, when the apostle writes to them. It's about two years of age. It's a young church. It's a vibrant church. Hearts ablaze. My, there's a sense of revival in that church. And then we'll look at another church. When the apostle, of course, giving the words of our Lord to this church, it's some 43 years of age. We see the difference in age. We'll see the difference in their condition. We'll see the difference in their devotion to the Lord, their love for Christ. And that's what I want to just point out in these few moments that we have left. My, my, I'm talking about the church of Thessalonica and the church of Ephesus. So take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, if you would please. And I would ask, if you would please, to just take your Bibles and not only find 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, but could you find Revelations chapter 2? And if you'll keep just your bookmark or your fingers in those two passages, I I trust that the Lord will use this. I, I would like to look at these two churches and see what is present when revival is present. And to see what is absent when revival is absent. First of all, keep your place in First Thessalonians. And I want to go there now and I'll look to, look to a passage. And then I'd like to read uh, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 2. We'll just take these two verses and we'll go as quickly as we can. And I trust that the Lord will just honor us with His presence. First of all, as I look at First Thessalonians chapter one, I want you to note, if you would please, verse three. The scripture says in First Thessalonians chapter one and verse three remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. First of all, I would like to point out, and that is first of all, the revival in the church the revival in this church. First of all, we're looking at the canvas of this Thessalonian church. We're looking at their heart. We're looking at their soul. And then we will look at the service of this church. We'll look at their ministry. And that is the, that's the order that the Spirit of God gives to us. It's so important for us as we look at this matter of our service, our activities, what we're doing. And that is, of course, Very, very important. But ladies and gentlemen, our service, our ministries should be coming as a fruit from where our heart is in relationship to our Lord. It is important for us to understand that. How often have you heard from this pulpit that Christianity, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. It's a relationship with our Lord and our Savior. I want to press that today in our hearts I've heard this most of my ministry, evangelism does not produce revival, but revival produces evangelism. And that very well may be. The problem is not in the service of the church, but in the soul of the church. Some of you fly very frequently. Gail and I fly a few times a a year. We were in Wisconsin two, uh, two weeks ago, had a nice flight there and back. Can you imagine being on a, on a flight, and all of a sudden, one of the engines goes out. The pilot comes on. He says, please don't be alarmed. Huh? Don't be alarmed. We will land very shortly, and we'll, we'll give attention to it. So they, he safely lands the plane, and uh, he, he tells everybody, you stay on the plane. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking they're going to either fix the engine, or they're going to put us on another plane. But in a few moments, you look out the window of your airplane and you see here's a, here's a dear man coming up and he's going to be our new pilot. They don't fix the engine. They just replace the pilot. Now, folks, that's what you call Baptist airways. That's how Baptists usually do things. Now, you won't have to do this and you better not. Some of us will be after you. It seems like when churches have problems, let's get rid of the pastor. Well... Folks, sometimes when churches are having problems, it's time for revival in the church. It's time for God to do something. You're not surprised when I say that I am pro pastor. I love pastors. Almost 50 years of being one, and to there again to have dear friends that God has placed in my pathway men of God that give their hearts and their souls. And so often, we think about what the Lord Jesus said. We think about Matthew 13 when he gives us that parable of the souls. And, 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 and he, he reminds us that there was nothing wrong with the, the sower. He was doing the job. There was nothing wrong with the seed. It was a gospel, the word of God. But it was the condition of the souls, condition of the hearts. And oh, may God give us the courage to look at ourselves spiritually in the mirror and see what God has for us. I look at this passage 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3 again. Paul says, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father. Now would you look please at Revelation chapter 2 and verse 2. And I'll just read the first part for sake of time. But I want you to know what the, of course, the Lord Jesus says in his assessment of this church of Ephesus Revelation 2 and verse 2, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. Do you notice something missing in the description of this church compared to the church of Thessalonica? It does not say your work of faith. It does not say your labor of love. It does not say your patience of hope. It simply says, thy works, thy labor, thy patience. Don't miss that very important truth in this message. I want to try to compare these two churches Remembering, Paul says, remembering without ceasing. There was something about the attitude and the activity and the aspiration of the Thessalonian believers that brought such a delight and inner strength to the heart of this apostle, the apostle Paul. Oh, he says, remembering without ceasing. He says, "I, I have to repeat myself. You're so special to my heart. You've blessed my heart. Paul started this church. You remember First Thessalonians, uh, excuse me, uh, Acts chapter 17. And, and you see here that he started this church. He loved this church. This church went through some great difficulty. This church went through great affliction. He would send Timothy, of course, to minister to them. And my, what a, what a crew that was there to bless them. But Paul said, I, I have to repeat myself. I remember your work of faith. I remember your labor of love. I remember your patient of hope. I can't help it but to think about what God is doing in your midst. He's excited about this ministry. Why is that? What do we see here in this passage? Especially verse 3. Looking at the revival in the church, please note, first of all, there is the enterprise of the Christian life. There is the enterprise of the Christian life. He says the work of faith. This is talking about from the moment of conversion until the end. You see, folks, this is the total life of the believer. The total life of the believer. Think about that. Oh, this matter of working, a work of faith. We walk by faith or by sight. And the one indispensable thing we know from a Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 is, and that is without faith it's impossible to please God. Folks, I know you're reminded about this every week, but, and we, we heard it already today, And that is, we are challenged to believe God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, Paul tells us. There again, to have a strong faith in this hour of difficulty, an hour of darkness, an hour of depravity, to have our faith, uh, to, to understand it's so important, indispensable as we think about that. All of the enterprise of the Christian life is to be a work of faith. Now, if we're simply just laboring for now and not for eternity just trying to live for some pragmatic earthly success, then we will walk by sight and not by faith. And that is a reality, a reality and that's the choice of many ministries today. That is so sad. I think of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. I think about Noah. I like to think about Noah because I feel like Noah would probably be at home today in the atmosphere in which you and I live. Here he is building an ark, 120 years. And I can, hear, I can hear the crowd. I can hear those around him screaming out, Noah, you're a nut. You're a nut. For some of you that don't understand that, that's a Latin word for crazy, stupid. You're a nut. I'm from Durham, North Carolina. You please forgive me. Folks, Noah would reply, <laughs> I'm under orders. I'm under orders. I mention the missionaries that are here today. God bless you folks. We love you. We pray for you. We support you financially, but most of all with our prayers and our love. We champion you. We rejoice. I think about this matter of ministry. Why in the world would a Christian worker leave the comforts of America and go to some far country. I think about missionaries we've had in the past in Mali, West Africa, and Timbuktu where the summer temperature is 130 degrees. No air condition. No breeze. And they minister. Why do they do that? Why do the missionaries do that? Because they're under orders from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Oh my God has given us orders. We walk by faith and not by sight. I think about Noah. My, my. I think about the oppression, the intimidation. I just can imagine that one day there is Mrs. Noah and she goes to the beauty shop to get her hair fixed and the the ladies are sitting around and they're snickering. Ms. Noah, what is your husband doing? Ms. Ms. Noah, what in the world is so many years you've been in that and your husband is preaching and And screaming at us, "Uh, Miss Noah, don't you understand? Don't you understand that you're in the minority? And she was a wise lady. And she says, Doesn't that depend on when you count before the flood or after the flood? Ladies and gentlemen, I remind us folks, don't count the score before the game is over. Hey, we're not home yet, The, the game is still on. You say, well, the world is saying we're nothing, but in Christ we have all, and we rejoice in Him. Think about that. Jim Elliott, the missionary, wrote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. My, the enterprise of the Christian life, it's a work of faith. Number two, I want you to know there is the endeavors of the Christian life. Not only the enterprise of the Christian life, the work of faith, but there's the endeavors of the Christian life. It's a labor of love. Labor of love. Labor. Labor. I look at that word and I think of tired muscles. And I think of an aching back. And I think of a face bathed in sweat. Labor. Labor. Labor for Christ is hard. Every one of these missionaries could testify to that. Labor is hard. Knocking on doors is hard. Praying is hard work. Bible study every day is hard work. Facing criticism is hard work. Yes, keeping on for God in this day and serving Him is hard work. But I look at the church of Thessalonica. I see where revival is, where revival is in the heart. It says it's a labor of love. Now, I could illustrate that in many ways. I think about a mother staying up all night with a sick child. That's a labor of love. I can think of a soldier and his buddy in a foxhole and, they, and the connection that they have, there again defending each other, trying to keep each other alive. That's a labor of love. I think about a law officer, a policeman protecting the citizen. But can I look beyond that kind of illustration? They're good and I'm sure sufficient in so many ways False, but let me give you an illustration of a labor of love. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty guff that God did span at Calvary. When love signs its name, they sign it Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Here's our love. God is love. I think of the manger in Nazareth, Gethsemane, the trials. I think of the work of the cross on Golgotha. Labor of love. You see, ladies and gentlemen, revival is present when our labor is a labor of love. It's a delight to work for Christ. This should be the endeavor of our lives. Labor of love. The Miltons challenged us for next week about this matter of evangelism going out. We need scores and scores of people to gather together to, uh, there again, to make the, uh, the effectiveness uh, greater. Oh, my friend, it's hard. But when you have a love for Christ and revival is in your heart... My friend, it's a labor of love. It's a labor of love. The enterprise of the Christian life, work of faith. The endeavors of the Christian life, labor of love. There is the expectation of the Christian life. Look at verse 3 again. There is the expectation of the Christian life. Because it speaks again about that work of faith. That labor of love. And patience of hope. Patience of hope. Can I look at that for a moment? This is so very important. The patient man is surrendered to the will of God... He's satisfied with the ways of God, and he's serene or at peace in the work of God. Boy, to have patience. You're going to have to have patience in this day in serving the Lord. You're going to have to have patience. And these people, had their hearts were filled with this kind of patience. But look at the matter also of hope. It was just not patience. It's the patience of hope. My, what a precious word that is. We use the word hope today in so many ways. In our culture today, when we use the word hope in our day... It's, it's, it's hope, I hope I get a vacation. I hope I get a raise at work. I hope I can take this trip. I hope I can get a new car. I hope, I hope. We use the word hope and it's a question mark in it. But when you look to the word hope in the word of God, it's used totally in a different way. We find that it's no longer a question mark, but my friend, it's an exclamation point. It's something about it. It's a sure hope. No question at all. The biblical word hope has no question mark in it. The definition of hope, I like this. Hope is the ability to enjoy now something we'll not have in fullness until the future. Let me say that again. Biblical hope. What We're talking about the patience of hope. Hope is the ability to enjoy now something we'll not have in fullness until the future. Can I illustrate it this way? Mom takes her little son to the store, perhaps Walmart, and it's the month of November. November. And she says before they, they get into the store, now son, Christmas is very close. You can't have anything. I'm not going to buy you anything. And they go in the store, and that little guy, he sees something on the shelf that he wants. He sees a toy uh, uh, car that he's got to have. And, and the little boy starts nego- negotiating with his mom. How does a child negotiate with us? They start crying, don't they? Some of you guys need to learn that. You could get what you want from your wife. But anyway, that, write that down if you would. But my, we, we, we see this. And, 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 she, and she, she melts and she buys that toy, but she said, you'll not touch it. I'm going to take it home and wrap it, and I'll put it under the Christmas tree, and don't you dare touch it. But that little boy, he lies on his belly. And before that, uh, that Christmas tree, right where that package is at, he knows what's in there. And in his mind, he's playing, and he's playing with that car. It's his. It's his. It's a happy hope. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what we have in Christ Oh, the happy, blessed hope of the appearing of the great God in our Savior Jesus Christ. Some of us can go to the grave of a child or a beloved parent or a dear friend. So many times through the course of the years, hundreds and hundreds of funerals that God has allowed us to be involved in through the years, and we stand before that loved one, that Christian person. And I think about this as a I, 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 by faith, by hope, I can hear the trumpet. Come up hither, and my heart rejoices. It's a happy hope. And this is the kind of patience that we ought to have. Think about this. where Revival is present. Not just work, it's a work of faith. It's not just labor, it's a labor of love. It's not just patience. It is an exciting, enjoyable, thrilling patience of hope. No question mark, just a big exclamation point. I look at the revival in this church, but very quickly, my time is just about gone. Please don't think about food. Please don't. Now, I know better than to say that because I know what you're thinking about now. The revival in the church, but there's a response of the church. Look in First Thessalonians again. Let me just read verse 7 through 10. I'll try to preach in shorthand if I can. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 7, He says, so that you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come, because its soul was correct and it was in revival. We see the response of the church here. The response of the church. How did they respond? Well, first of all, look at verse 7. Don't have time to turn to this. But I want you to note it was a a giving church. Verse 7 is relating to what Paul said about them. Their their testimony of of sacrifice and giving in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In verses 1 through verse 8. He wrote about them. They had a testimony not only in their area, not only in their city of Thessalonica... But they had a testimony uh, uh, of far off. Like missionaries, we have a testimony because we've sent them. We've given that they may go. And folks, we see this. It was a giving church. We give. You're giving, aren't you? May I do that? I'm a Baptist pastor. You, You forgive me. You are tithing. You are giving to special projects, offerings that may challenge the church and extend the ministry of the church. You are giving to missions. I believe faith, promise, missions. You are giving. You say, well, I can't do that. Well, you're not trusting God. You trust God, He will provide. I dare you to try it. I dare you to try that. This was a giving church. Number two, look at verse 8. It was a telling church. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord. Thessalonica was on the interstate highway in Rome. And there again, we, uh, that Roman Empire... And we see that every person that would come in uh, to Thessalonica, they would be passing through merchants, all kinds, soldiers. When they ran into one of the members of the church of Thessalonica, my friend, they were witness to. They were just gossiping the gospel. They could not be silent. It was a giving church. It was a telling church. Look at verses 9 through 10. It was a living church. It turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. I don't know of any person that begins to follow the Lord Jesus Christ that doesn't have to leave something behind. Folks, that's the Christian life. That's the encounter that we have. I'm just not prepared to apologize to a complacent Christian community that would like to have everything the world affords and then expect all of God's blessings. It just doesn't work that way. The Christ of our Bible said, Except you deny yourself, you cannot be my disciple. This church had turned from idols to God. To God. Turned to God from idols, I should say. Have you turned to God? Hey, folks, you you come in today just expecting there again to have just a typical church service. And I pray it's been a blessing. I know it has to me the music and all of the testimony and the friends that we have met in fellowship today. But oh, listen. Have you turned to God? Are you willing to turn to Him and leave those idols behind? They do nothing but empty your pockets and empty your mind and empty your heart. And Jesus fills your life when you put your faith and trust in Him. Now, very quickly, I want you to take and go back to Revelation, go over to Revelation chapter 2, and let me try to draw this together if I can. The revival in the church, the response of the church, the rebuke of the church that we find. You realize as we turn to Revelation chapter 2, there are two chapters here in the book of Revelation that we have the Lord Jesus assessing seven churches. And the first church that's presented to us is in chapter 2, verses 1 through verse 7. And I don't have time to look at all of this. My, there are several messages that could come to our hearts looking at this passage. But I want to look at verses 1, 2, and 3 very quickly. Look at this. Folks, this is a very important uh, point. The rebuke of the church. Jesus Christ will rebuke this church. And I can't hardly believe that until, as I read the first three verses. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. God's presence. God's power. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them, which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. Verse 3, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hath labored, and hast not fainted. Let me stop there for a moment. Hey folks, this kind of church here in our hour would be rated a triple A church. This is what we would call in these first three verses a five-star church. This is a kind of ministry that everyone's looking for. Sound in doctrine, theological correctness, spiritually discerning, swift and disciplined, diligent in labor, persevering. They had everything going for them. But God says, the Lord Jesus says, you're in danger. What was it? What was the danger? I see here it was they were lacking in their devotion. Look at verse 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. You see, the preeminence of, preeminence of Christ was not there. You know, a lot of times we, we pride ourselves in thinking uh, it's the preeminence of the church. Oh, look at the activities. Look at the programs we have. And that's good and that's noble and that's necessary. And we, we think about there again, this is a family church. We focus on the family and we build strong families. That is a noble cause. It is biblical. Oh, look at our church. We have a just supreme fellowship. We make sure people are together. We're building great relationships. And that, again, is biblical. But folks, I want you to note something here. He says you have left your first love. You've left your first love. Think about that, folks. Have you left your honeymoon, love? You would think this matter of revival would be optional. And I look at this passage here. It's like, like buying a cheaper car. It's just a choice. Why, why, would, why would anyone, why would everyone need revival? Look at verse 5. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly... I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. We find God, folks. Why do we need revival? Because God's in a hurry. God's in a hurry to save the sinner. God is in a hurry to answer prayer. And God Almighty loves his church so very much and cares for us that God is in a hurry to cleanse us and correct us and chastise us. Revival is not an option. My friend, he is asking for this supreme affection that we love Christ, that we have that loving relationship with him. We do that every day in the Word of God. We have our time with the Lord. We come to church, we get involved as much as we can. We learn from the pastor and the teachers and the ministries of this uh, great church here. And it, w- does, it does what? It enhances, it cultivates our love to Jesus Christ. If we're not doing that, we're missing out. Can we take the love test very quickly? The love test. Do we love God? Do you love God more than any number one place? Some of you will never have to face that. Some of you will never have to leave perhaps the home that you grew up in or the first house that you you bought years ago or decades ago. You won't have to face this matter of comparing, do I love God more than my place? Because you won't have to to leave. But our missionaries, people like that have to. They have to face these things. Our Lord left His place and came to our place that we might go to His place. He loved the Heavenly Father. He loved the land of glory. He came down to Palestine. Oh, listen, do we love Him more than any place? We often used to sing this song, anywhere He leads, I will follow do you love God more than any place? Do you love God more than any pleasure? Please excuse my language here. But ladies and gentlemen, America is going to hell on the entertainment train. We find that the highest paid people in our, in our culture are those who are involved in the entertainment business. Entertain us! Entertain us! And there. listen, we have a generation that's laughing as they go into hell. May God break our hearts. Do you love God more than any place or pleasure? Do you love God more than any possession, a house, a car, a financial nest egg? Do you love God more than any person? Any person? Abraham, do you love me more than Isaac? Do we love the Lord Jesus Christ supremely? You see, we're we're just, we're just staggered as we think about the teaching of our Lord when he says that we're to love him more even than our families. It breaks our hearts, but I want to give you some good news. If you put, your, put Christ first in every, in every association of your life, it will be enhanced if you put Christ first and you love Him more. Hey, fellas, you want to love your wives more? Love Christ. Ladies, you want to love your husbands more? Love Christ. Uh, parents, you want to love your children better and the best? Put Christ first in your life. Children, you want to love your parents more? Put Christ first. God will bless. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That's the love test. Revival in the church. The response of the church. The rebuke of the church. Look at verse 5. Hey, folks, this is the last point. Does that encourage you? Here is the return of the church. Look at verse 5 once again. Revelation 2, verse 5. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen... And repent and do the first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place. Except thou repent. I look at this. Look at these three R's that so often the preachers have given to us. Remember, repent, and repeat. Do the first works. Remember. That's a present active imperative. I want to throw that out to impress the scholars here. This is a present active imperative. Keep on calling to mind. He says, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent. Boy, I don't have time to even look at this. My heart goes to Luke chapter 7. And there's a sinful woman that comes in. I don't know what her reputation could have been or exactly what caused her reputation, but she was known as a sinful woman. And she came into the presence of our Lord and she had an alabaster box full of ointment and she anointed the Lord Jesus And her tears of of devotion and sincerity and love were splattered all over his feet. And the Lord Jesus used that because there were critics in the area, of course. There are always critics when you're too excessive in your love for Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 7, verse 44 through verse 47 Jesus said and he turned to the woman and said unto Simon seeest he was the one that was a critic seeest thou this woman I entered into thine house and thou gavest me no water for my feet but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head thou gavest me no kiss but this woman ceased since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet my head with oil thou didst not anoint but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment Wherefore, I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And the Lord Jesus preferenced that declaration with this parable. You remember this? Luke chapter 7, verse 41. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Verse 43, Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast judged rightly. Hey, folks, we have forgotten where we've come from. Have you never been a lost sheep? Have you never been a prodigal eating with the pigs, eating the husk out of the slop? My friend, we have forgotten where God saved us from. And may God remind us about that. Remember how much you owe a forgiving Savior. It's interesting to me that word remember is found 164 times in the Old Testament. You have verses like this in Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 9. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is none else. And I am God and there is none like me. Remember all that God has done for you on the basis of past mercies. And it will build a future of grace when you remember God's mercy and how he saved us, delivered us from hell and given us a heart that can be cleansed by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent. Change your mind about what is important to be giving your love to. Change your mind, your direction, my friend. Repent. Have very little of that anymore. We want to follow the Lord and have all the things of this world. It doesn't work that way, as I said. There's the word repeat, do the first works. This is the honeymoon love. The loving adoration you first felt. Now, someone's thinking, what if I do not repent? What if I do not love Jesus Christ like you are challenging us to do? Would God actually shut me out of heaven if I don't love him? If I don't change my mind? And repent. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. This is the essence of the Christian life. There is no one in heaven who does not love God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. There's no one there. This is communicated in so many scriptures. You've heard these before. You know these verses. Folks, have we forgotten this? This is essential. Hey, this is necessary. This is why you came to church today to hear this. The Bible says in Matthew 7, verse 21, 22, and 23, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, in thy name, we have done many wonderful things. And the Lord will respond, I never you, knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. A priority love was missing. Have we forgotten these verses? 1 Corinthians 16, verse 22, If a man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. That is a cursed. If you don't love the Lord Jesus, there is this curse. James chapter 1 and verse 12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath pro- promised to them that love him. That love Him. James chapter 2 and verse 5, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, But as it is written, Eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God had prepared for them that love him. Check yourself. Check yourself. Sir, ma'am, young person, are you thinking you're going to get into heaven just because you're a member of this church? won't work. I've been in the baptistry. That's not enough. It's to trust Christ as your Savior and to have a growing love for him. This first love has been the theme of songwriters down through the ages. One songwriter, Elizabeth Prentice, wrote, More love to thee, O Christ, more love to thee. Hear thou the prayer I make on bended knee. One songwriter wrote, I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. It was Francis Havergale that wrote, Take my life and let it be. And one of the verses of that great hymn goes like this. Take my love My Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Another song that we often sing is this. Listen to the verses. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior, art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. I love thee because thou hast first loved me and purchased my pardon on Calvary's tree. I love thee for wearing the thorns on thy brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. I love thee in life. I will love thee in death and praise thee as long as thou lendest me breath. And say with the death dew, when the death dew lies cold on my brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. In mansions of glory and endless delight, I'll ever adore thee in heaven so bright. I'll sing with a glittering crown on my brow, if ever I love thee, my Jesus tis now. All the depth of that song. And what is incredible about these words, it is given to us, the source is given to us, this was written by a 16-year-old young man, Montreal, Canada. William Raff Featherston was his name, 16 years of age. My soul, my soul. Young people can love Christ. Young people can love Christ. I don't know who this guy is. George Crowley, C-R-O-L-Y. Crowley, listen to his prayer. Spirit of God, descend upon my heart. Wean it from earth, through all its pulses move. Stoop to my weakness, mighty as thou art. And make me love thee as I ought to love. Teach me to love thee as thine angels love. One holy passion filling all my frame. The baptism of the heaven descended dove. Listen to this. My heart and altar, thy love the flame. My heart and altar, thy love the flame. Ladies and gentlemen, I just came here today as a brother in Christ as a friend of this ministry, and just to say, folks, we have room enough to grow in our hearts to love Christ more. Amen? Would you stand with me? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and the brethren will come and conclude the service and whatever song and invitation they have. But dear folks, I call upon you. To, I call upon you. I call upon you. I've been been involved in church work. A lot of you have as well, most of our lives. But folks, is it business as usual? Have our hearts become hard? Are Are we distracted because of the things of this world? Oh my, may the Lord Jesus pull on your heart today with those wounded hands and pull on those Love cords to draw you closer to his heart. I'm going to ask you, dear folks, because I look at this congregation. I know how you've been preached and taught my soul and loved by a dear pastor and this good staff. I'm going to ask you at that pew there to make it an altar real quick. Would you dare to ask the Lord, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I have been, I have been involved in a multitude of good things. But I have sacrificed the good things are the best thing for good things. We've sacrificed the best things of walking with Christ, loving him. Would you ask the Lord to forgive you? And then ask the Lord, Lord, would you grow my love for you? And you know how to do that? Hey, folks, you're not going to love Christ until you know who he is. You're not going to love anyone until you know them. I challenge you for a deeper walk with him in the Word of God, the ministry of this church. If you do that, Father, bless now. I pray that you'll just challenge our hearts. It's amazing. (laughs) Coming to church, they're telling me to love Jesus more, the Son of God, who gave His life that I may have life and to have it more abundantly. And yet that's the cry of the hour. We live in a dark day. Things are changing quickly. Intimidations. Regulations are coming down the pipe against churches. We realize there are things that are choking us. There are things that are making us bitter. We see those entities that are trying to steal our nation away that has been so blessed. Father, I pray that you'll cause us to understand that we need to come afresh and anew. Bow our knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Give us revival in our hearts. Give us revival in our churches. I pray the Lord will just touch touch this ministry, continue. We need Friendship Baptist Church. We need these people here. All the testimony that you've blessed this ministry with for years and years and years to this very hour. And Father, this is the time that we need Friendship Baptist Church to be that church of revival. A church that loves Jesus Christ, don't care what happens in this world. We love the Lord Jesus I pray, Lord, that you'll tug on our hearts at this time. Lord, there may be someone who's never trusted Christ. We pray that they'll come down this aisle and and have someone take the word of God and show them how to trust Christ and how to know for sure that their sins are forgiven, that heaven is her home. I pray for the child of God that's become a prodigal, that you bring them to you. May they return to the Father. I pray that you'll bless now In unmistakable ways. In Jesus name I do pray. Pastor.